Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. It's commonly said the most powerful position on the planet is the President of the United States. Actually, that title should go to Dr. Anthony Fauci, Chief Medical Advisor to the President. He's the highest paid federal employee and holds the key to our health care. He advises the Pentagon, foreign governments, and the WHO. Dr. Fauci, together with his friend Bill Gates, controls the media, scientific journals, government agencies, influential doctors and scientists. They flooded the public with fearful propaganda and censorship to anyone opposing them. Joining us today is returning guest Robert F. Kennedy Jr. His number one best-selling book, The Real Anthony Fauci, pulls back the curtain and exposes some ulterior motives behind mask mandates, quarantines, mandatory vaccinations, and the boosters. It's profits before people. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an attorney, environmental and humanitarian activist. He's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling author. As a trial lawyer, he's taken on the world's most powerful corporations and held them accountable for harming people and the environment. He was named one of Time Magazine's Heroes for the Planet and is the founder of the Children's Health Defense. His latest international best-selling book is called The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health. Welcome back to the show, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so glad to have you back. Before we dive in, I have to say the last time you were on the show was about four weeks before the COVID vaccine was available. You made several predictions that had many of my listeners rolling their eyes in disbelief. But for the record, everything you predicted during that interview came true. So I want to thank you for your foresight and your unrelenting passion for exposing the truth. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for giving people a platform who have dissenting voices. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Share with us, what what motivated you to write a book devoted to exposing Anthony Fauci? Well, you know, I've known Fauci, as I I explained in the book, for many years. I've been following him for decades. And I, you know, as he rolled out these countermeasures for COVID, I understood that my view of him was very different than most Americans and especially most of my fellow Democrats because my understanding of Anthony Fauci is of him as the architect of agency capture of our public health agencies. He has, as I show in the book, over 50 years, transformed those agencies from public health enterprises and regulators to really subsidiaries of the pharmaceutical industry. HHS no longer does public health. HHS does pharmaceutical promotion of vaccines and other pharmaceutical products. These agencies have deep, deep financial entanglements and cultural entanglements with the industry. FDA, for example, gets 45% of its budget from pharmaceutical companies. The CDC spends $4.9 billion of its $12 billion budget, so about 38 
on buying vaccines from the four big companies and then promoting them, distributing them. It owns 57 vaccine patents. People within the agency make money from every vaccine sale of certain of those items. NIH has hundreds and hundreds of vaccine patents. And not only, for example, NIH, Dr. Fauci's agency, owns half of the Moderna vaccine and stands to make billions of dollars on that vaccine. Not only that, but four of Dr. Fauci's closest deputies within the agency, he has designated them to have patent marching rights that will allow them to collect $150,000 a year for life from the sales of that vaccine. So you're looking at an agency that really is no longer regulated. The regulatory function has been subsumed by commercial and mercantile impulses, and they are not doing public health. They're doing promotion of these products. Yeah, you know, when I hear you talk about organizations like the CDC, the NIH, and the FDA, most people believe they're looking out for our best interest. But as you just shared, they they profit from vaccines. And you mentioned in your book how Dr. Fauci has received royalties on drugs that he's helped usher through the approval process. I'm not a lawyer, but isn't that considered a form of racketeering or at the minimum requires a conflict of interest disclosure? Well, it's certainly a conflict of interest. And, you know, the, the the dynamic of agency capture is very, very well documented. It's not, a, it's not controversial. It just happens and it happens to some extent at every public agency, whether it's FAA or FCC um, or, you know, state environmental agencies, the federal EPA. I've brought over 500 lawsuits against polluters and probably about 20% of those were lawsuits against EPA and the state environmental agencies for making sweetheart deals or facilitating illegal behavior, permit violations by various polluters because those agencies are also captured. So I've always, you know, I really thought myself immune from um, any additional cynicism about these agencies because I've spent so many years suing them. But when I was dragged reluctantly kicking and screaming into the vaccine controversy, I saw a new form of agency capture, agency capture on steroids. Imagine if EPA got 45% of its annual budget from sales of coal. Uh, what would it, what would the agency capture look like then? So that, and that is what you're dealing with, with the pharmaceutical companies. They literally are dependent for their budget on the companies that they're supposed to regulate. They are partners. If you're at CDC, you do not get promoted for finding problems with vaccines or pharmaceutical drugs. You get punished for that you get penalized. The, the promotions are based upon um, a metric of how well you do promoting those products, how much you encourage the uptake of, of those products. Those are the people who rise 
the power in those agencies. So, you know, from the top to bottom, those agencies are now corrupted. And, you know, somebody said to me the other day, it was actually Governor DeSantis, and he was talking about FDA, and he said the only way to handle FDA is with a flamethrower. The corruption <laughs> is so Jeez. deep. Oh, wow. In that agency, it's hard to even figure out where to begin to, you know, because the, the entire agency is designed around promoting pharmaceutical products. It, there's really almost no regulatory function left in that agency. Gee, so the FDA, which we think is policing big farmers, actually in business with big pharma. I mean, that's a mob-like operation if I've ever heard one. <laughs> I mean, that definitely influences decision-making, right? Well, yeah, it influences all of the, you know, it, listen, when Tony Fauci came into office, 6% of American children had chronic diseases. Now, by chronic disease, I mean, this is in addition to obesity, which is now ubiquitous. I think one out of every five children is uh, is grotesquely obese, but American children, and that just was not true when we were young. Uh, you know, um, obesity was really unusual. But I'm talking about other neurological disorders, neurodevelopmental diseases like ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, tics, Tourette syndrome, narcolepsy, ASD, autism. These are all diseases that were essentially unknown in the early 1980s. Nobody had ever heard of autism in this country until Rain Man was released in 1988. The, the level, the incident of autism in my generation today, 68-year-old men, is one in 10,000 as autism. Full-blown autism, I'm talking about nonverbal, non-toilet-trained Head banging, stimming, toe walking, you know, gut agony all the time. You don't, you never see that in people my age. But one in every 34 children in my kids' generation looks like that. So, and all of these other ones, the food allergies, the, you know, the asthma, exploded eczema. I never heard of it when I was a kid. Now it's ubiquitous. Anaphylaxis, and then the autoimmune diseases like juvenile diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis. All of these diseases became epidemic beginning in 1989. So the question is, in fact, Congress said to EPA, what year did the autism epidemic begin? And EPA came back and said, 1989, it's a red year, red line. So Tony Fauci's job is to figure out it's head of the National Institute for Allergic and Infectious Diseases is to find the source of the autoimmune disease epidemic. Uh, the Institute of Medicine with National Academy of Sciences say there's 178 diseases that have become epidemic, autoimmune type diseases that have become epidemic. Incidentally, all of those diseases are listed as side effects on the 72 vaccines that are now mandated for our children. So those have to be a suspect. What we know is that it has to be, the culprit must be an environmental toxin. 
because genes do not cause epidemics. So the question Tony Fauci, Congress wants Tony Fauci to answer is what is the environmental toxin or exposure or the group of different ones that are causing these explosions of these debilitating epidemics of chronic disease? Like, you know, infectious disease like COVID is nothing in terms of the cause and the debilitation compared to chronic disease. Chronic infectious disease of COVID killed people who were essentially at the age when they were, you know, if you were over 70, most of the people, the, the mean age at which people died from COVID was the mean age at which they were predicted to die by the actuarial figures anyway. So in terms of affecting life years, the impact is relatively small. But if you give one out of every 34 children severe autism at the beginning of their lives, and they have 70 years in front of them, and you give the same number of ADD, ADHD, food allergies, autoimmune diseases, this is a calamity that costs trillions of dollars annually to our country. So why is Tony Fauci only focused on infectious disease? Why have these diseases all exploded since he came in? We know we, it's very easy to figure out what the culprit is. You know, Phil Landrigan, who is a famous toxicologist, probably the most famous in our country. I've used him as an expert in numerous lawsuits. Uh, he is, you know, he's universally regarded as a, the probably leading authority on toxicology in this country. And he said, you know, looking at this problem, he said, he said there's about 11 potential culprits. And among those are, you know, are glyphosate pesticides or herbicides. Neonicotinoid pesticides. You have to you have to figure out something, an exposure that can't became ubiquitous across every population demographic beginning around 1989. So something that impacted not only like Cubans and Key Biscayne, Miami, but Inuit children in Homer, Alaska, all at the same time beginning in 1989. How many toxics? are in that category. Well, here are a few of them. Glyphosate, which is Roundup, which became ubiquitous around that timeline. PFOA, flame retardants, neonicotinoid, which are in furniture, pajamas, etc. Neo and Teflon. Neonicotinoid pesticides, um, cell phone radiation, ultrasound, and a few others. But it's really a limited number, and it's an easy thing to do the science, the bench studies, the animal studies, and the uh, the, the placebo-controlled trials, or the or the you know the, the the data trials. Essentially, you look at the you know the health databases and look at these exposures and and do cluster analysis and correlate them um, exposures to different injuries. 
And you can do all of that very, very easily and very quickly. Why has Tony Fauci never funded those studies? He has a $7.6 billion annual budget. NIH has a, a $42 billion annual budget. And those budgets go to funding scientific studies. Why is he not telling us the answer that he was hired to give us? What is causing these this explosion of chronic disease injuries. What's, why are our children all obese? Is it corn syrup or is it one of those other exposures? It's an easy thing to figure out, easy. And But if you are a scientist and try to do that study, he will ruin your career. He has control of, of universities. He has control of the scientific journals. Between him and Gates and Jeremy Farrar at Wellcome Trust, which is the UK version of the Gates Foundation, those three men control 61% of the biomedical research funding on Earth. So they not only decide what will be funded, and they also decide what the outcomes will be, or what outcomes are permissible, but they also can prevent studies from happening. So let me give you an example. If you are a young associate professor at UCLA Medical School and you say, hey, the Kaiser Permanente HMO has a database that shows the vaccination records for millions of California residents and it also has all their health claims. If you depersonalize those records, you can easily do a study that, is, that tells us whether diabetes epidemics, whether the autoimmune disease epidemics, rheumatoid arthritis, autism, ADD, and food allergies are associated with particular vaccines. It's an easy study to do and obvious. And you'd be saying, why has nobody ever done this study? And then if you put in an application for funding of that study, Tony Fauci will quickly find out about it because most of the money is coming from NIH. And one of his hitmen, Cliff Lane or Hugh Auchincloss, will make the call to your dean to, of UCLA and say, you better stop this young joker from doing this study. We do not want this study done. And that is where what has happened to science in this country and across the globe. They can stop it. They can, you know, every virologist in the world who looked at that genomic map of coronavirus knew from day one that this had to be laboratory generated. And yet for two years, they were able to silence every virologist and every immunologist in this in the world because they all rely on Fauci for their livelihoods, for their careers. And, you know, he's able to silence science. Right. I know in your book you share 80% of the deaths from COVID could have been prevented if Fauci allowed early treatment using the safe, effective drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Why did Fauci push remdesivir and the vaccines instead, if that was a, a, a more risky route to go? Well, and by the way, you know, when you say, I say that in my book, what I show in the book 
is the testimony of scientists and hundreds of peer-reviewed studies that all agree on that outcome. I don't say that myself. I don't ask you to believe Robert Kennedy on any fact in that book. The book is 250,000 words. It has 2,200 footnotes, and it has thousands, tens of thousands of factual assertions, and all of them are cited and sourced to peer review or government databases. That despite the extreme hostility, despite the fact that we've sold 750,000 books, it's been at the top of the bestseller list for eight weeks. Not one of them. The factual assertions in that book has public has been publicly questioned anywhere, and I'm very very proud of that. Now the question that you asked is why they push remdesivir and why they suppress things that we know work. Remdesivir does not work. The WHO says it doesn't work. Everybody who's looked at it as that the Chinese have studied extensively and said it doesn't work. Um, the, you know, it was, it had to be pulled by the safety review board from a, in December of 2019, right before COVID. It had to be pulled from a Ebola study because it was too dangerous. It was killing half the people in the study. They said this is too dangerous to give to Ebola victims and half the people who get Ebola die. So why would you ever think to give this dangerous, lethal drug to people with COVID? And incidentally, it kills you the same way that COVID does, through kidney failure and through pulmonary edema for flooding the lungs. So all of these people who were dying from remdesivir, the doctors just assumed they were dying from COVID. And we ran up the biggest death counts in the world because we were the only ones in the world using remdesivir, thanks to Tony Fauci. He bought up, he got trumped by the entire global supply. And, you know, we have 4.2% of the global population and we have 15% of the COVID deaths. The death rate in our country was 2,500 per million under Fauci's protocols. The countries that refused to take Fauci's protocols had death rates more than a thousand times less than that. Uh, Nigeria, for example, which gives virtually the entire population hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, had a death rate of 14 people per million. Compare that to 2,500 per million in our country. They didn't have COVID. They didn't have a pandemic. In fact, Virtually no country in Africa had a pandemic. The, death, the average death rate was 168 people per million because all of those countries on, are on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They also have younger populations, so they were less susceptible. But, you know, they were the places around the world, like Japan, again, a very, very low death rate. China. I think claims to have a death rate of three people per million, and they gave hydroxychloroquine to everybody. So the countries that you know actually allowed those early treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin had death rates that were infinitesimal. They avoided the pandemic altogether. The Chinese ended the pandemic in two months. Um, the, and the reason that Fauci had to suppress ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine is because of a little-known 
U.S. regulation, a federal regulation that says you cannot give an emergency use authorization to a vaccine if there is an early treatment or a prophylactic treatment that has already been approved for any purpose. So if Fauci had admitted that hydroxychloroquine could be effective against COVID, even mildly effective, he would not have been able to give the emergency use authorization to his vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, or to any of, you know, Pfizer, any of the others. So he had to crush hydroxychloroquine at the beginning. At the beginning, And the reason they loved remdesivir, one, is because Bill Gates has a big investment in Gilead. And two, because remdesivir is an, is an IV drug. It's, it's, it's given intravenously. So it can only be given to hospitalized patients at the end of their illness. And therefore, it does not compete with vaccines. And so they were able to approve that drug without compete, cannibalizing their vaccine enterprise. Jeez. And this is why the media said, stay away from ivermectin, hydrochloroquine. It's, it's toxic. It's de- deadly. Meanwhile, it's one of some of the safest studies that's been done on medication, which you showed in your book. It's safe. Yeah, I mean, they said it's a, yeah, it's, it won the Nobel Prize. It's the only drug ever in history to win the Nobel Prize. And it's been given to billions of people around the world. It basically obliterated river blindness. Hydroxychloroquine has been, uh, you know, a, an essential medicine by the WHO for 65 years. It's safety. It's much safer than aspirin or Tylenol or most over-the-counter medications. There's never been a safety signal on either of these drugs. And, you know, Fauci tried to discredit ivermectin by saying it was a horse medicine. Well, so are antibiotics. You know, that's like saying amoxicillin or penicillin is a horse medicine. Don't take it. Well, yeah, it works on all mammals. It's like saying water is a horse drink. Stay away from it. You know, it's absurd. Of course, you know, most medicines are are also veterinary applications. And to try to discredit it by saying it's it's only for horses is, you know, it was just a lie. It was just a lie. That's amazing. I know in your book you share how the lockdowns recommended by Dr. Fauci may also be responsible for hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of deaths, not the virus, but the lockdowns. Share how healthy people being quarantined created more harm than good. Well, this is now very, very well documented that more people, far more people died as a result of the lockdown than died from COVID. And the lockdowns were killing, of course, Americans were dying from, you know, from suicide, from drug overdoses, uh, but also from deferred medical treatment. People weren't getting cancer screenings, they weren't getting kidney dialysis, regular kidney checkups, diabetes checkups, all of these things that actually end up killing people by delaying medical or deferring medical treatment. I think a real injury and the people who were dying from COVID were the poor in this country. People from Compton had three times the death rate as Beverly Hills. So, you know, 
people in my political party all over the country, liberals, were saying, well, we're going to make the sacrifice and go into lockdown. But most of them were kind of well-to-do, at least. Their children had were, were literate on and had access to laptops. So they basically got 20 months vacation at home. But if you lived in Compton or in Harlem, things really looked bleak because the police were closing uh, basketball courts and public playgrounds. People were locked in small apartments, um, some without air conditioning, many without other, um, uh, you know, other services that people take for granted elsewhere. These were people who could not get to the beach. They could not leave their neighborhood. They could not leave their home. They had no exercise, none of the things that brought richness to their lives. And if you look at the metrics, the indicia by which people judge the welfare of poor populations, the only metric that improved dramatically was child abuse data. Child abuse appeared to disappear during the pandemic. And why is that? It's an artifact of the fact that child abuse is reported in the schools. So the schools were not reporting it, but it was not going away. The children were locked with their abusers in their homes with nobody to protect them. And with, you know, Brown University did a study that showed that that during the lockdown, young children under two lost 22 IQ points. And the, uh, you know, the, the injury to the psychological injury from the masking, children learned from, they learned to speak from watching the, the use of facial muscles. They learn empathy. They learn uh, to communicate through use of the face and to put masks on all these children for a year and keep them away from social situations and education has done damage to this generation of kids. And of course, it was a war on the poor. It was the people who were suffering were the poorest people. And the, you know, the worst suffering was taking place abroad because what we did is during the, during the 90s, we got, particularly during the Clinton administration, we persuaded the developing world, Africa, Latin America, South Asia, to sign on to the global enterprise. And, you know, we talked these nations into abandoning traditional subsistence agriculture switching to GMO crops and to commodity agriculture to to produce uh, commodities for McDonald's, for crafts, for, for, you know, these other big companies that, um, that where we promised, okay, we are going to raise you out of poverty if you sign on to globalism. Well, what happened when we declared the lockdown? We pulled the plug on that. And all of those countries that now had corn, GMO corn piled up on the docks and came to rely on the tourist industry, that came to rely on these interactions and exchanges with Western economies were suddenly shut out. 
even the New York Times acknowledged that 10,000 children a month were dying of starvation in Africa directly because of the lockdown. 10,000 kids a month. And, you know, the, the, the Asian data in India is even much worse. So all over the world, probably 100 million children were forced into extreme malnutrition or death. And, you know, and it dwarfs the numbers of people who died, particularly if you look at life years lost. It dwarfs the death. It's an atrocity. I know last time you were on the show, you shared how vaccines are free from being sued. And the definition of fully vaccinated is changing and now includes getting boosters. Question, does the need for multiple ongoing shots every few months still fall in the legal definition of a vaccine? Well, you know, that's a complex question because the there is no such thing as that I know of as a legal definition in terms of a definition that has that has legal consequences. So I don't think there's a place, and I could be wrong about this, but you know, clearly these aren't vaccines in the traditional sense because vaccines in the traditional sense give you immunity against the disease. And these vaccines, which are mRNA vaccines, do not give you immunity. They they do not prevent transmission. You still get the disease. You still can pass the disease. So there's no pretense or claim anymore that being vaccinated will end the pandemic or will prevent the contraction or the transmission of COVID. So in that sense, the, these clearly are not traditional vaccines, but I, I don't think... As far as I know, there's no. It w- it would be very difficult to to bring a to, to create a cause of action in which you can say, "Hey, this isn't a vaccine. It shouldn't have liability protection," and that has a, a chance of prevailing in the courts. Wow, I know you've shared publicly that the top drug companies are convicted felons. That's a powerful statement. Share with the listeners. What do you mean by that? Well, it's. It's powerful and it's significant, but it, again, it's not controversial. I mean, it, this is a public record. I think the the top four companies have paid something like $79 billion in criminal penalties and damages. I know just the companies, Sanofi, Merck, Pfizer, and Glaxo, since 2009, so roughly 10, 12 years, have paid $35 billion in criminal penalties and damages for falsifying science, for defrauding regulators, for bribing, blackmailing doctors, for selling uh, drugs illegally off-label uh, um, marketing and, and doing you know, a lot of other illegal monkey business. So, um, you know, these are criminal enterprises and they've, you know, these are are consequential crimes. They kill hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people knowingly. I mean, Vioxx alone killed between 100,000 and 500,000 Americans with a drug that Merck marketed as a headache pill, knowing that it caused heart attacks and they didn't tell anybody. So they, so they've 
you know, most of the customers who purchased it, if they knew that it caused heart attacks, they would have probably said, you know what, I'll take an aspirin instead. But Merck did not give them, you know, the, the benefit of informed choice. Merck just lied to them about the safety. And it killed all these people. And, you know, they should have gone to jail. They ended up paying about $7 billion out in damages and criminal penalties. But, you know, that's just one drug. You can go through, you can talk all day long about all the drugs they've done. That was when they, as soon as Merck did that, you know, as soon as they had Vioxx taken away from them, they did the same thing with Gardasil vaccine. They created a product by falsifying the science and, and, you know, and they ended up killing and injuring hundreds of girls with a drug that does, with a, with a product that does not work. There's, there's no good evidence that it, that it prevents any case of cervical cancer. Jeez, and it popped profits before people. And you know, all these money you're saying they're putting out in fines and lawsuits, they profit more, so they do the numbers, and it's it's worth it to them. I guess that's that's the way they look at it. Hey, it's better to, to make the money than to expose what, what our product does. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not a speculative charge. We, you know, during the Vioxx cases, we got their internal memos from their bean counters to their marketing people saying, we are going to kill this many people, but we're still going to make more money, even if we have to pay them off. So, yeah, they make the choice, and this is who they are. They're, you know, they're they're, they're criminals. That's true. Hey, I got, we're out of time. I got one hypothetical question. If you can answer it, give me thirty seconds to uh, one minute answer. If Anthony Fauci was never born, he's completely out of the picture. How would this two-year COVID nineteen pandemic have played out differently? You know what? It's hard to tell. I mean, he, Tony Fauci was the center of this enterprise, but he was not acting alone. There was, you know, the, Francis Collins was uh, equally culpable. Lawrence Tabak, who's out running the agency, was all of them, even, you know, the people that, that Trump on in, Scott Gottlieb, Alex Azar, they're all corrupt. And so it's hard to say, you know, how different. Hard to say. So it was a, it was a group group effort, and it takes uh, it takes nine to to make a team, and that's that sounds like what happened. Fantastic. Time flew by. As always, when you're on the show, I want to thank you again for your unrelenting courage and mission to get this vital information out to the masses. I urge everybody listening get a copy of Robert's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. It includes information from the most brilliant scientists, scholars, and doctors in the world. If you're frustrated by this pandemic and all the conflicting information, get this book. It's available on Amazon and everywhere else books are sold. To learn more about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., go to childrenshealthdefense.org. This website offers a ton of great resources. While there, be sure and sign up for Robert's free Defender newsletter so you can stay up to date with all the latest. I'm a subscriber. That website, again, is childrenshealthdefense.org. You can follow Robert on Twitter at Robert Kennedy Jr. On Facebook, he's at RFKJR. And Instagram, you'll find him at Children's Health Defense. For my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, it's at Dr. D. Friedman. Send people this link. Get this word out. It's uh, it's also available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com. Sharing is caring. You can subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.